seat and make yourself comfortable we're going to our teaching part of service next and so i'm calling i'm the associate pastor again welcome to our in-person service and all of you who are online thank you for being with us digitally uh, we're in our week two of hope in uncertainty and again we are living in uncertain times we don't know what next week next month next year is going to look like in light of covid and so we've dived into these this new series starting um, starting last week. Um, and one of the guilty pleasures that I've picked up during COVID, we talked a little about this last week, but one of my guilty pleasures has been uh, just binge watching TV shows. Typically, I don't really care for TV, but with all the time that I've had, I've been watching a lot of shows. One of the shows that I'm catching up with, I'm a little late to the game, is the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. And about three episodes in, I realized Shoot, there was one point where I shook Michael Jordan's hand. So let me tell you a story how it went. So was at, I was at Lou a couple of years ago, and Lou is a long conference that happens every other year. And one of the nights that um, we were there, there was a special guest speaker. His name was David Choi. And he was sharing a story about how he took a trip with his friends, and they ended up at the hotel where they were hosting Michael Jordan's birthday party. As he was waiting to meet Michael Jordan, he ran to Michael Jordan's team, uh, high school teammate, teammate named Randy Shepard. And while they were waiting for Michael Jordan to arrive, David Choi and Randy Shepard, Michael Jordan's high school teammate, were in a conversation. Now, when Jordan's limo arrived, security escorted Jordan up to, to the doors, and Jordan saw his teammate, and he's at, you know, he's like, goes over to greet him. And while he's greeting him, security thinks that David Choi, the speaker at Who, was part of the part of the party that yeah, he knew Jordan, and so security escorts these three guys: Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan's teammate Randy Shepard, and just this random guy David Choi, who was a fan of Michael Jordan, to the party. Now they're walking to the party, and David Choi's like, "Michael Jordan, can I shake your hand? I'm a huge fan," and he shakes his hand. Well, later that night, David Choi shared that story with us. And after he got done, I was so impressed that he had met Michael Jordan that I went up to, Mike, to, to David Choi and I was like, dude, can I shake your hand? Because you shook Michael Jordan's hand? <laughs> Pretty impressive, right? So in case you want to shake the hand that shook the hand who shook Michael Jordan's hand, once COVID is all over, I am more than happy to shake your hand. All right. Kind of pathetic, actually, right? It would have been a whole lot more different if it was my experience. But it was a second-hand experience, not a first-hand experience. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. Having a first-hand experience with God rather than a second-hand experience. You see, today, we're going to be talking about how and why it's important to have that first-hand experience with God. More importantly, a first-hand relationship with God. So, Peng, we just got done reading in Exodus chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. And this picks up right where we left off last week. And so let me recap real quick. Last week, we talked about the dangerous power of uncertainty. And what had happened in Exodus chapter 32 was that when Moses went up to Mount Sinai to receive the tablets where God wrote the Ten Commandments, 
He was up there for 40 days, which caused the Israelites to start feeling anxious. They started to feel worried. They were concerned. And so what they did was they built an idol out of gold and worshipped that idol and claimed that that was that idol who had freed them from slavery from Egypt when in fact it was God. You see, in the time of uncertainty, in the time um, where they were uncertain, it was dangerous because they turned their focus away from God into something else. Today, we're going to dive into this idea that God wants us to have a first-hand relationship with you. Not a second-hand experience. So that we can remain hopeful in uncertain times. And so let's recap what we had just read in Exodus chapter 33, verse 7 through 11. And let me read it really quickly for us again, just so that so that we, again, we get the, an, an idea of what the situation was. And so um, Exodus chapter 33, verse 7 through 11, this is what it says. Now Moses used to, to take a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance, while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance of their tent. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Then Moses would return to the camp, but his young aide Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave that tent. So let's dive into this a little bit more to understand um, what it means to have a firsthand experience. And so the author here is telling us that after the golden calf incident, Moses takes this tent and he pitches it outside of the camp where all the people are staying. Again, they're traveling the deserts, and so they set up tent to, to stay in during the night. And so imagine if we were the Israelites gathered in the desert. Moses would head towards a certain direction away from us to set up a tent, in part because of the disobedience that the Israelites had shown to God, they, they needed to be separate. And so even though the Israelites were disobedient to God, even though the tent was pitched outside of the camp, of the main camp, God still wanted to be with them. Every so often, Moses would go into the tent with God, and this was indicated by a pillar of cloud. At the, very, at the very beginning, when the Israelites were freed from Egypt, God took a form as a cloud to guide the Israelites through the desert. And so whenever Moses went to the tent, the people knew that God was present because the pillar of the cloud came to the tent. And, and yeah, and it was indicated by that pillar of cloud. It was indicated by the pillar of cloud. God's presence was there, and again, he met with Moses and met with him in an intimate way, in a firsthand way, in a, in a face-to-face way. Now, interesting, all the people watched from a distance, but there were two individuals in that tent. God, well, three people, God, Moses, and if, if we miss it, at the very end, End of verse 11, Joshua was also there. Joshua was also there. The author describes the relationship between Moses and, and, um, and, and God like this. That again, they would sp- that, that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And again, 
it tells us in verse 11 that the young age Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave that tent whenever Moses left that tent. You see, this verse is so crucial in helping us understand the importance of having that firsthand relationship with God. Joshua did not waver. Joshua was not anxious. Joshua did not turn away from God whenever Moses wasn't there. But time and time and time again, as we read about the story of the Israelites, whenever Moses went somewhere, whenever there wasn't water, whenever there wasn't food, the Israelites were always concerned. They were always scared. They turned away from God. Their dependence on Moses' faith, their dependence on that second-hand experience often led them to trouble. But for Joshua, his first-hand relationship with God, his first-hand relationship with God allowed him to face similar uncertainties. But again, because he was so committed to having that first-hand relationship with God, whatever assignment, whatever task, whatever situation where he, would face, he faced uncertainty, he put his trust in God. And every time there was a challenge, whenever there was a task, whenever there was an assignment, Joshua always succeeded. What is extremely notable is that after 40 years of wandering the desert, the Israelites finally reached the promised land. And the generation that came out of Egypt, the generation that experienced slavery and experienced liberation from Egypt, along with Moses, because of their disobedience and unfaithfulness, they did not get a chance to see the promised land. But Joshua, who had a first-hand encounter with God, Joshua, who had a first-hand relationship with God, not only completed all the tasks and missions that was assigned to him, but he became the next leader in place of Moses, and he led the Israelites into the promised land. Joshua remained faithful to God because of his first-hand relationship with God. Joshua knew God's desire, God's plan, whereas the rest of the Israelites would hesitate time and time again, again, because of their second-hand experience of God, because they depended on Moses' relationship on God so much more. You see, God wants us to have a first-hand relationship. The first-hand relationship allows us to see hope whenever there's times of uncertainty. God wants us to have a first-hand relationship instead of a second-hand relationship through others so that we can experience the promises that come from the hope that we have in him. And most importantly, God wants us to have a first-hand relationship with us instead of a second-hand relationship through others because he wants to be in relationship with you. The be-all, end-all is that he wants us to have a first-hand relationship because he wants to be in relationship with us. You see, all the blessings, all the promises, all the victories that Joshua experienced, it wasn't just to experience those things, but it was to experience God himself. And so when we have a secondhand experience of God, we are not able to see that. And our relationship and experience stops at the blessings. It's, 
stops at the miracles. It doesn't propel us forward to knowing who God is. But again, when we have a firsthand experience of who God is, when we have that firsthand ex- relationship with God, we see that in every situation we're put through, regardless if it's certain or uncertain, it directs us to be in relationship with God. Now, what does this mean for you? Take a minute and think to yourself what your relationship is like with God. Is it a first-hand relationship? Is it a second-hand relationship? And if it's a second-hand relationship, are you clinging on to someone in your family's faith, your parents' faith, maybe your spouse or your partner's faith? Maybe it's your pastor's faith. Maybe it's your friend's faith. That can only take you so far. A first-hand relationship with God will give you clarity in situations where there's uncertainty. A first-hand relationship with God will give you hope when things feel hopeless. And a first-hand relationship with God will ultimately give you God. Now imagine if all of us experienced that. What would that look like? What would that mean? Wouldn't it be amazing to see the hope and the promises fulfilled during uncertain times like this and to have others experience those promises as well? Wouldn't it be amazing to experience God himself and the immense love that he has for us? I'm going to go ahead and pass it over to Pastor Greg as he talks a little bit more about what it looks like with this firsthand and secondhand faith himself. We'll have Pastor Greg come up. So at the end of my time here sharing with you, we're going to take a chance and actually have you share what God is saying to you. You're going to have a chance to share, to encourage all of us with what God is speaking to you, what God is impressing on your heart here today. So I, I want to pray. I want to pray for all of our hearts today and all of you online that you can experience God. You can hear God. You can, you can feel that nudging of the Holy Spirit today as we talk because that's what a firsthand faith is all about. So join me in praying. God, open our hearts. Give us eyes to see, ears to to hear. Lord, I pray for every person here and every person watching us online. Speak to them. Speak to them directly, personally. Remove any barriers of sin, of hardness of heart, of despair, of hopelessness. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ against all of those. Any barrier that any person has to hearing you, we remove those by the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So what does a secondhand faith look like in our lives? See, secondhand faith is shallow. Firsthand faith runs deep. Secondhand faith is, well, secondary. Firsthand faith 
is primary in your life. Secondhand faith is borrowed. Firsthand faith is owned. And as, as Kong talked about, there are a lot of places we can borrow faith from. Your parents, if you've ever found yourself saying, well, my family's Christian, or I've always been a Christian, or maybe your spouse, husbands, how many of you have wives who are the spiritual drivers in the family? And you're sort of coast, coasting on their coattails. Or even your church, even your pastor. And you're like, well, I go to church. Isn't that good enough? And I hear sermons. Even YouTube. YouTube sermons, YouTube worship. Okay. Are you learning about God from somebody else's reading of Scripture? Or are you learning from your own reading of Scripture? See, now, don't get me wrong. All of these are good things. All of these are good. But if you aren't personally engaging with God yourself, it's all secondhand. So what's the problem with secondhand faith? What's the problem with it? Well, I'll give you two problems. First, if all you have is secondhand faith, the best you've got is secondhand hope. Let me say that again. It's that important. If all you have is secondhand faith, the best you've got is secondhand hope. And the problem with secondhand hope is it is not very resilient. You can lose it pretty easily. How many of you have how many of you have known a family that attended church and then someone got sick, they invited the pastor to come pray and they didn't get better? And so the family concluded that Christianity didn't work and they left the church. Maybe went back to shamanism. How many of you have a, a friend from your youth days, if you attended church as a youth? How many of you have a friend there who just stopped going to church? And people say they walked away from the faith, but maybe they never had a firsthand faith to begin with. Or maybe you grew up hearing that Christians were, 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 weren't supposed to do certain things. Christians shouldn't do blank, blank, blank. And you started doing blank, blank, blank. And all of a sudden, your friends and your church started to look down at you. And you walked away from God. And you walked away from the church. See, if all you have is a secondhand faith, the best you've got is a secondhand hope. And secondhand hope is not resilient. It will not stand the test of time. Because here's the truth. First-hand hardships will always beat second-hand faith. First-hand hardships will always beat second-hand faith. Doesn't even stand a chance. So that's the first problem with second-hand faith. But there's another problem. A much, much more serious problem. And that is that if all you have is secondhand faith, you might not actually be saved. 
See, Scripture is consistent on how it talks about salvation. It only happens through faith in Jesus Christ. And the command to believe is directed at individual people, at individuals. And the act of believing in Jesus is a personal action. Now, that said, there are three passages in Scripture that hint at this idea of a family salvation. But none of them are 100% clear. And the reality is, there might be three passages that hint at the idea of that a family is saved. But there are dozens and dozens of passages that describe salvation as personal and individual. You are not simply saved because your family is saved. You are not saved simply because you attend a church or are a member of a church. There is no guarantee in Scripture that because the people around you are Christian, that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life that will determine who spends an eternity with God and who spends an eternity apart from God. You are saved when you personally decide to believe in and follow Jesus Christ. So firsthand faith begins with a, this question. This is the starting point. And it's a question that's been around churches and circles and, and, and Christian circles for, for decades. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Online folks, did you catch that? Have you personally accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? Now let me briefly explain three words in that question. Because th all three of these words are critical. The first word. Personal. Personal. At some point in your life, have you personally made a decision to follow Jesus Christ? You see, a personal decision to follow Christ is the only way to have a personal relationship with Christ. That's firsthand faith. Now, this can happen in a moment, like me, Literally one minute I was not a Christian, and the next minute I was. I knelt on the floor of a living room and prayed with a youth pastor when I attended a Bible study for the first time, and God grabbed a hold of my heart. So it can happen in a moment, but it can also happen over days, months, even a year. So look, as, as Pastor Kong and I were talking about this sermon He's been a Christian his whole life, attending church his whole life. I was not. But he, there came a time in his teen years where he decided that he was going to make his faith his own. It didn't happen overnight. It didn't happen in a moment like mine. But it happened in a definitive period of time where he was different after than he was before. And that's, that's how you can tell that you have made a decision. There is some point in your life 
where who you are before is different than who you are after. So I'll ask you, have you personally accepted Jesus Christ? Okay, that's the first word. Let's talk about the second word, Savior. The question was, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Now, Savior, the Bible tells us that we have all sinned. We have all committed evil, selfish acts, every one of us. And as a result of our sin, we deserve God's judgment and God's punishment. And the only thing that can save us from that judgment, the only thing that can save us from that punishment is a Savior. That's what the word means. That Savior is Jesus Christ. So if you make excuses for yourself and you downplay the, the sin that you do and you think you're generally a good person, chances are you don't have any need. You at least think you don't have a need for a Savior. But you do. We all do. We all need Jesus Christ. Because he is the only one that can save us from God's judgment and God's punishment. And the truth is we can't save ourselves. We just can't. There's nothing we can do about that judgment. And believing that Jesus is your Savior means that you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty that we should pay. That you should pay. Um, and that's what it means to be a Christian. Is to believe that about yourself and believe that about Jesus. So I'll ask you. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Now there's one more important word. Lord. Lord. This one, this is where it gets hard. This is a lot tougher. Because see, the word Lord means master. It is the one with complete ownership over us. It's what a servant calls their master. Is that how you see Jesus? Is that how you see God? As the one with complete authority and control over your life. You see, it's really easy to accept Jesus as your Savior. It's really hard to accept him as your Lord. And my guess is that some of you right now, as you're hearing this, you're thinking to yourself, I believe in Jesus as my Savior, but I'm not sure I've ever really believed him as my Lord. The one with complete control over your life. And that's really hard because it means we have to give up control. We have to give up control of our lives. Your life is not your own. Your decisions are not your own. Your family is not your own. Your Facebook is not your own. Everything you have, everything you are, everything you do belongs to God. 
That's what it means to believe that Jesus is your Lord. That's what the Bible means when it says to die to ourselves. So have you really given up control of your life to Jesus Christ? Do you believe him as your Lord? So let me ask you the question. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? Now, I want to close by giving an invitation. I want to give you an indication, an invitation. Now, some of you, some of you might be feeling like you might never have actually personally chosen to follow Jesus. Or maybe you've never really accepted Jesus as your Savior for your sins. Or maybe you've never really recognized him as your Lord. And if you have not done one of these three things, or two of them, or maybe all three of them, today is your opportunity. Today is your opportunity to, to write something that you might have missed over your life. Or to make a decision, maybe for some of you, today becomes that defining moment where who you are when you walked into this grass or turned on this live stream, who you are when you started is not who you are when you'll walk out or turn off the stream. And you have a chance to say yes to Jesus Christ. To say yes. I want to make him personal in my life. Yes. I want him as my savior for my sins. I'm tired of trying to fix my own sins. And yes, I want him as my Lord. God, I give you my life. I give it all. I am laying myself down. So have you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? So that's some of you. Now, others of you, you, you think, and you've done these things. You've personally chosen to follow Jesus. You've accepted Jesus as your Savior. You've recognized him as your Lord. But you know these days, nowadays, Maybe you're not quite living one of those like you should. Maybe one of those you're sort of falling behind and you're getting a little lax on and lazy on. Maybe Jesus, maybe the first one, maybe Jesus has become distant for you. And you've lost that personal connection with Jesus that you might have had sometime in your life. Maybe your faith has become about rules instead of a relationship. Maybe you're living off other people's faith and not your own. So maybe some of you say, okay, God, I am recommitting myself as you as my personal Lord. Okay? And then maybe for Savior, maybe some of you have started to downplay your sin. You think you're, you're generally a good person. Yeah, you do a few things, but generally you're good. Or you try to solve your own sins. You screw up and then you try to make it better over and over again. And you just repeat that cycle and it never solves anything. 
Maybe that's you. You make excuses for yourself. You rationalize your behavior. And maybe you need to say today, okay, God, I am recommitting myself that you are the savior of my sin. Or third, Lord, maybe you've taken back control of your life. You're in charge of your decisions. You're in charge of your family, your wants, your desires, your goals. And you're not laying your life down at the foot of the cross. Maybe this morning is your chance to say, Jesus Christ, you are my Lord. I lay down my life. I let you be my boss, my leader, my master. So, where are you today? What is God saying to you today? Are you in that, the first group where maybe you've never done one of those or all three of those, and you want to make that decision today? Whether you're in person or watching us online, you want to make that decision to say yes to Jesus as your personal Savior and Lord. Or maybe you're thinking, I've really gone lax on one of these. I want to recommit myself to one of these. What is God saying to you today? Well, we're going to give you a chance to answer that question. So Pastor Kong's going to have a mic here. We actually we have it on a boom, so we'll be able to still stay socially distant. But we, we're going to take some time. You've heard Pastor Kong talk. You've heard me talk. Now it's a chance for you to hear you talk, for you to hear your church family talk. So if you're in person, I want to actually give you a chance to share what God is saying, anything God is saying to you today, right now, in the last half hour or so. What is God impressing on your heart? And if you're watching online, you can share in the comment section what God is saying to you. Or if it's really personal, then just DM me, and I would love to respond to you later today or tomorrow. Okay? So we're going to open up and let you encourage one another.